0: welcome to a new episode of personal threads the show where we delve deep into the style evolution of our guests and how they got their own idea of what personal style looks like and what influenced them along the way and of course we like to discuss the fast changing territory of fashion in a more conscious and mindful world and no better person to do that with other than our next guest Amy Powney is a UK based fashion designer living in London and from the age of 10 she grew up on a farm which was off grid in rural Lancashire with her sister and her parents. Her family's lack of materialism would later become the grounding in her understanding of how we give and take from the earth. In 2002, Amy left her home in the north of the country to study fashion design at Kingston University and on completing her degree, she started working at Mother of Pearl in 2006 as an assistant who was sweeping the cutting room floor. From there, Amy worked her way up to studio manager and eventually taking over the helm as creative director. She is now the co-owner of the Mother of Pearl business. In 2017, she won the British Fashion Council's Vogue Designer Fashion Fund, which enabled her to launch No Frills in 2018, a core collection made from organic and natural materials with a transparent supply chain, putting social responsibility, respect to animals and low environmental impact first and foremost. The development of this collection and Amy's trailblazing mission to create a sustainable collection from field to finished garment and transform the way we engage with fashion forms the subject of Fashion Reimagined, an award-nominated independent documentary released in cinemas and across streaming services globally in 2023. Everything Amy learnt in creating the No Frills collection is now applied across the entire Mother of Pearl brand, making it the most traceable and transparent label in the UK, Amy's sustainable collections have been shown at London Fashion Week and Copenhagen Fashion Week and are stocked by prestigious global retailers including Netta Porter, Harrods, Neiman Markers, and Goop. Through Mother of Pearl, Amy has embarked on a number of collaborations. To celebrate the 10th anniversary of the campaign for wool, Amy was asked by his then Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, now King Charles III, to design a limited edition wool scarf to showcase the sustainable benefits of wool. Amy has recently presented a TED Talk in Detroit at TED Countdown on her learnings from fashion reimagined. Amy, what a gigantic honour and pleasure to see you here with us today. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. That was good Monday motivation. You just gave me a synopsis <laughs> of my career. Your whole and, life yeah, there, thanks, panning yeah. back. <laughs> From my 10-year-old self. To now. And
0: here you are. Yeah. Um, well, it's so fortuitous actually meeting you here uh, during London Fashion Week.
1: Yeah, of course, it's London Fashion Week. i,
0: I mean, sort of not that
1: clicked into that these days, but yeah, yeah it quite. is going on.
0: It is going on. Yeah. But, and, and how did you sort of have a presence this
1: season? So we don't do shows anymore. It just didn't feel right for our brand anymore. Um, but we did a small kind of uh, presentation or screening, should I say, Fashion Reimagined um, on the eve of Fashion Week. Um, just a really intimate affair at one hotel and just sort of had 20 like-minded people in the room just to watch the film. Some of them were watching it again. Other people come and see it for the first time and we had a little Q&A at the end.
0: So I'm interested in that because you sort of were saying, therefore, that you, you don't have the shows, you don't kind of do the machine of London Fashion yeah. Week, so to speak. Um, and And... Were you showing any more new collections and how are you bringing your collections to your audience? How does that work?
1: We bring our collections digitally or we come up with different kind of events or concepts and they're not on the Fashion Week calendar necessarily. They can be, they cannot be, but we don't follow the machine anymore. It just We talk about sustainability in terms of environment. We also have to talk about sustainability in terms of sustaining ourselves and our mental health. And I think the journey we went on, which you see in the film both Chloe and I at the time, and the team, you know, we were overworked. And I think when COVID hit, we decided to kind of refocus the business anyway, once I'd gone Mm -hmm. on this journey and we were looking Mm -hmm. at what we were doing. Also writing a TED Talk. It's a really good moment to stop. And you have to deliver on the TED stage, which is epic, right? There's no bigger public speaking opportunity in your life that will be TED. And it wasn't TEDx either, it was TED, you know? So you have to think about what you've done, but also what you want to say and also what you're going to do. And it was unbelievably stressful, but it was a really incredible moment actually to kind of make a synopsis of what I've achieved Mm -hmm. and also what I want to do.
0: I want to get to that. And I and I really am fascinated to find the journey of what brought Amy to where she is standing on that stage at the global TED talk, finding solutions for the future. It started with your family off-grid in a farm in rural Lancashire. Yeah. And obviously, we're coming from a personal threads perspective and interested in sort of that young Amy and her dungarees sort of, yeah. you know, in getting in <laughs> amongst the soil and sort of dirty hands and feet. But, you know, just give me a little bit of flavour, yeah. if you will, of that sort of very young, innocent territory where you probably didn't really know an alternative. That, to you, was just normal life.
1: Yeah, well, I wish it was dungarees. It was more like a shell suit. <laughs> that
0: was stylish.
1: Oh, I mean, Are we was talking gritty, 90s man? here? 90s, yeah. Okay. Fluorescent was like, you know, within, <laughs> when I was 10 and then it moved into, you know, different things. But people often think I got into fashion because, or sustainable fashion, let's say, because I grew up off grid, therefore I am sustainable. Mm-hmm. But weirdly, it was kind of a slightly twist of a tale. So mm-hmm. it was more in order to fit in in the playground. So I was living this very off-grid, in a caravan, you know, no water, no electricity. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents were super busy, like, building the house and trying to make it all work. I mean, they really had no money. And
0: and they had other jobs as well as other, the farm. Yeah, they worked full-time. And,
1: yeah. on. Well, We didn't actually have a working farm. We worked on local farms for other farmers. Yeah. Like, back then, farmers were wealthy, not so much any, yeah, yeah, anymore. But yeah, you worked for the farmers, you know, in the village... And then on their evenings and weekends, they were kind of turning this barn into a house like with their own hands. Um, so I kind of lived that life. But then walking into the school playground, well I won't say walking, it was like a 40 minute cycle on my dad's bike with a trailer that he made for it. The cool trailers you see now with parents driving with their kids it was wasn't that. didn't exist then. So we were very uncool turning up on a bale of hay <laughs> in the back of a trailer <laughs> at school. And everyone at that point in the 90s was, you know, in Adidas three-striped tracksuits. Right, pop- of the, course. The, the and that pants. kind of
0: expectation in the playground of- like the latest trainers.
1: My dad wore his overalls every day. You know. Of course. My mom was insanely beautiful, but like she didn't care about that stuff. You know. She just. I think we had like one face mirror in the bathroom. There wasn't even a full-length wow. mirror in the house. You know. So there's me then in the school playground sort of understanding, hey, what's going on with my outfit versus your outfit? And really thinking I'm different and, you know, wanting to fit in. So I got quite i And wanting to fit in. Wanting to fit in. Okay. Desperately wanting of course. to fit in. You know, I was on this mission. I needed a tracksuit. You know, I needed a <laughs> pair of kicker shoes and I needed a tracksuit, And that's really where my fascination came and, from
0: and so you know who else in the in the family were kind of sharing that point of view you speak about mum and dad like yeah. they were non it just that. wasn't yeah. on the agenda at all but yeah. was there a crazy aunt was there a sort of sibling was there somebody else or did you feel quite kind of it was your family was one thing and you were on this like, slightly more solitary journey of just thinking more carefully about the power of what you wear yeah. and how that could probably give you access to a social group or acceptance, etc. Yeah.
1: yeah, so my sister and I at that point were in like the thick of teenage, you know, kind of going into teenage years and she'd kind of got slightly more hippie friends. She was, in right. a way, it's sort of a bit cooler. Yeah. You know? She was listening to Coldplay and stuff and at that time where we grew up that was alternative okay. which obviously I know is not now but when we were growing up it was. You know, I was listening to like the Spice Girls yeah. and wanting a tracksuit, you yeah. know, so we right. were very different at that point. Right, right, right. So I just really like stuck on to my mates, you know. Like, I spent all my time just hanging out with my mates.
0: So you're listening to Spice Girls. What sort of movies were you watching? What poster did you have on your bedroom wall? Like, what references, barometers were going on? I mean, it was... Yeah,
1: it was... I mean, Spice Girls, we knew the songs, we knew the dances. You know, we did the routines when we were a bit younger. And then it was, you know, boy bands. It was, like, five, Backstreet Boys, that kind of thing. Our HMV that we had growing up was, like, tiny. And it literally was, like... Was it like now now hits or something? Yeah. You know, it was yeah, like yeah, yeah. we didn't I didn't have access to that stuff. And my mum and dad did used to play Fleetwood Mac was on repeat in our house. Thank like goodness thank for God that. for that. <laughs> but I hadn't sucked that up at that point. Like I remember like a Saturday in our house, like crowded house, Fleetwood Mac would be on. So I've got a very nostalgic, lovely feeling about that. But, like, I was so focused on this must have a tracksuit, must, you know, be is
0: so Spice funny. Girls. This so the tracksuit obsession. So, I mean, where were you shopping? What was, you know, when would you do that with the gals and sort of go to the high street or wherever you were on a sort yeah. of Saturday afternoon? Like, so,
1: yeah, Southport or Preston was kind of our closest. But right. we didn't have money, right? So right. my parents, and they categorically would not give me money to go and buy, like, an Adidas tracksuit. For them, that was just, like... I mean it was expensive back then. So like that was a lot of money and they, they didn't see the value in it, right? So I had to work myself. That was the only way. So I'd wake up on the weekends and school holidays and I'd just I'd go and work on the farms myself. I was just doing anything I could to get that brown paper back. This
0: is all kind of slightly, you know, amazing if you look back at these chapters and these moments of actually, you know by default you were then sort of being forced to work on the land yep. and this intrinsic subconscious yep. sort of absorption of the fact that actually like you say what you give and take from the land and that relationship yep. that sort of full cycle became actually the sort of foundations and the pillars yep. if you will for what built
1: yep. your, Tent- your
0: brand as it stands Tent- for today. Tent-
1: and that's what I talk about the kind of like pivot of the story so that stuff that was actually being rooted in me. Mm. So everything from Fleetwood Mac and Crowded mm-hmm, House to mm-hmm, my hands being mm-hmm. in the ground and me being connected to nature. Plus, we didn't have electricity, yeah, right? Got- so I had to watch a wind turbine if it was windy, I could watch Neighbours and Home and Away. If it wasn't windy, right, I couldn't. Right. Water, I had to like pump it out of the ground to even get water. So all this was going on, but I was just rebelling against it at the time. So I was focused on this subculture. And were
0: there moments that you were kind of going, "Why do we live like this?" Oh, totally.
1: I mean, it was arguments in our house. My sister had the same. I had. I mean, we we hated them for it at the time. Now we love them for it. But <laughs> in that moment, we were like, "Seriously, like, are you trying to kill me at school? Like, what are you doing?" But And then that's where the story goes, right? I end up in... I'm creative anyway. I end up in fashion from this obsession with, you know, kind of playground status and your outfit and your place in society. And then all that stuff I was sucking up just pulls out of me because it is who I am and it's what I believed in. I just had to... Go through my teenage years—an
0: amazing timing for it. So you, you kind of then leave the, the the countryside, if you will, and you're in Kingston. Yeah. How would we have found you in the student union bar? Like, what was drunk. the drunk? <laughs> A few ciders <laughs> in, yeah. but the the kind of visual, like, you know, is it the patchouli oil and the dark eyeliner yeah. and the kind of you know heavily knitted wools and you know socks and Birkenstocks and like, what was yeah. your vibe?
1: Uh, to be honest, once I hit uni, it was kind of multiple things because I was finding my way at that point. Little me from the country that was, you know, turning up thinking Coldplay was alternative. You know, I didn't know what an avocado was. I didn't know what a sweet potato was. Like, you know, I didn't understand fashion. I understand, like, my passion for creativity, but I didn't understand. So I felt like I had so much to wow. catch up on. That in a way I just... And also, like, in Kingston they had a, a Primark, which obviously I, you know, now I understand, But and a H&M. Like, I haven't been, like... I hadn't seen those sort of stores before. Right. Zara, I'd never seen Zara before. Right. and So, so your
0: eyes must have been on stalks, like yeah. literally absorbing like all everything. of this different way to express yourself. Yeah.
1: And so I tried different things, multiple
0: And any success, well, what were the highs and lows of that time?
1: Probably highs was like Rocket in Camden, you know. I used to go there, so there was the cowboy boots, the 50s dresses, and like I did go down nice. that route. Um, lows... There was a lot of clashing going on.
0: What, decade to decade or just in regards to colours colours and and silhouettes? Yeah, and
1: and silhouettes. And I was probably slightly sort of florally and hippie and trying that out. And I used to work in a hair salon on the weekends as a receptionist. And they used to cut my hair. I mean, literally, it was the worst haircuts in the world. Looking back, they were like mullets and like dyed all different colours. So... It, I mean, I didn't look good. Well, you
0: were, you were giving it all a go, though. I was giving you know it all a mean? go, Making yeah. up for lost time. Yeah,
1: definitely, yeah. And
0: also a grafter. Like, you know, and obviously intrinsically that comes from childhood as well. You yeah. grew up, and I think it's also interesting when, yeah. you know, children have got both parents really working yeah. very hard. Yeah, It just, just comes through yeah. to you, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. But it seems like, you know, you never rested on your laurels and you were just always sort of, you know, making sure that you were... Instrumental in, in in making ends meet. Yeah, as well. I
1: think for me, like my parents, literally when I talk about not having money, they really did not have money. If I wanted something, I had to do it myself. That was just the way it was. And I'm just a really proactive person. Like if there's a problem, I find a solution. It's just who I am. So I was just like, if this is my way, this is it. And so I just worked, 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 and that was my that was my only op- option to get somewhere. So I could have just chilled out, accepted my life the way it was. You know, 15. I remember my mother did. She asked me, like, what do you want to do? I was like, I'm going to be a famous fashion designer in London. And that was it. Like, that's what I wanted. At
0: 15, you said that? Yeah, I
1: wanted it. And I remember her saying, oh, you know, you'll meet a man and you'll get pregnant. I was like, no way. It ain't going to happen to me.
0: But thank goodness that work ethic... did play out in the way that it did. And thank goodness for all of us in many ways because I've worked in fashion for 25 years and like you say, it was a system and we all went along with it. And probably about six years ago, I also started to feel very much like we were contributing to part of the machine in a a negative way. We were producing so much content for brands all about buying more product. And you have in many ways, and I know you're very humble and probably wouldn't necessarily take that accolade, but in many ways disrupted the industry to make it look in in itself in a really much more academic way and not with a sort of... Show-offy kind of approach. It's just a sort of highlighting some of the major errors, some of the huge injustice, yeah. some of the alternatives and solutions, and, and, and an element of um yeah, just being a good person yeah. about it. Actually, on your watch, yeah. doing the right thing. yeah So, talk to me about. We're just going to go to the early days of walking in that door of Mother of Pearl. Yeah, it's a bit of a brand that's probably lost its way a bit at the yeah. time yeah. and you've got a gig in fashion you know albeit sweeping up in the yeah. in the cutting room floor you're, you're there yeah. you're in so talk to me about what that all felt like
1: yeah so i mean mother of pearl at the time was like a completely different brand um it was very tiny it was very niche it was very specific but they paid you know and at the time i was interning for giles deacon and it was in giles deacon's heyday like my introduction to fashion at that point. I mean, it was frightening, but it was just so exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like when Lisa and- Evangelista, like, you know, opened his show and like, it was just really his heyday. So I was kind of thrown into that. But it was an internship. There was no money. I needed money. I didn't have any support. So Mop was paying, you know. And so I started working there. I did three days a week. I mean, I really was just sweeping the sweeping the floor, doing some pattern work, making cups of tea. How old are you at this point? Yeah, 21, I guess. Um, and bit by bit, I start seeing opportunities to make it better. And, you know, more people come on. Yasmin still, you know, consults at one point And, you know, we've got new designers on. And I start thinking, you know, so I'm kind of pulled along on the journey in a bit because I'm seeing hope and maybe change. And, you know, and eventually that becomes me making the change. But, you know, I saw potential in it. So I stuck buy it in a way
0: it was just so much fun none of us were thinking environmentally or ethically sourcing or kind of the, you know supply chain or it was all about the finished product on the runway a big show yeah. you know a big after party yeah you know tons of sponsors making you know wanting yeah. to have that halo effect of yeah. fashion and how exclusive it was and it was just wildly exciting elite and you were so thrilled to be a part of that that scene that industry that yeah. movement
1: but he didn't really feel that like at giles you know, we were creating, like, one-off things. I remember hand-stitching, like, Swarovski jewels onto, like, skirts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would take me days and days, but, I mean, I was I, I loved it, mm-hmm. you know? I was, like, mm-hmm. we were crafting. Mm-hmm. We It was couture in a way. Mm-hmm. It was kind of mm-hmm. like we were creating art. We mm-hmm. weren't really, mm-hmm. you know? So I never felt, and I don't even know what his production runs were, but they were, like, nothing mm-hmm. in the day. You know, mm-hmm. that's not really...
0: Mm-hmm. He was an
1: illustrator, mm-hmm. right, that turned designer, and it was totally. just expression, you know? I yeah. felt like I was working... For an artist, not yeah. really working for a designer. So it was exciting and I didn't really question my footprint because he wasn't really promoting the bad stuff, you yeah. know. I mean, there is elements of it that you probably, you know, we consider is still consumerism, but it didn't really feel like that, no. you know. It no, felt no, 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 true. It felt like a show. It felt like theatre, you know? I felt yeah. like I was doing costumes, yes. you know. Yes, yeah. And then at Mother of Pearl, it was so tiny. We, I mean, the, we weren't even doing production at that point, you know, so... I remember at university they showed us Abercrombie and Fitch was like a partner of Kingston University and they cu- they used to come in. It was like a, a cult. They like showed you the video and it was like, come join Team Abercrombie and Fitch. And like they showed you the little like golf carts you went round on and then they tell you you wow. can't wear black on site and you're in this like community and this family. And I was like, that's disgusting. Like it was everything that I just couldn't like be. I think if it had somehow ended up in that world, I would have questioned it a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't really a need to question And you're right, it, yeah. it was
0: that real craftsmanship, and especially with those sort of, you know, cherished few designers at the top of their game at that time. It really was, like you say, about theatre. When did it start to realise that you were sort of observing, you know, where there could be improvements made and realising who was going to change the status quo? Yeah. And then, you know, your good few years in the door at MOP and then starting to having the... I guess the sort of focus and the light shine on you a bit where you yeah, kind of look in the mirror and go, well, actually, maybe this is me.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I don't I know exactly when it was. We Once I took over Mother of Pearl, so I become studio manager. Then I start helping on the designs a bit. And at some point I end up kind of running the whole thing. And then it starts doing well. And we start selling... You know, instead of a few pieces a season, you know, I'm getting big orders through from matches, Net-a-Porter, wow. you know. What was going sportsmen. on there
0: then? there was just design at this point. I
1: just cha- I changed the aesthetic of the design at mm, that point. Mm, um, mm. We signed up to a new um, showroom. She was, you know, hot and selling, and it just boomed. I mean... I can tell How you exciting. I mean, it was, but, you know, at that point, I think within a year, we went like sort of from turning over, you know, a couple of hundred thousand to like two mil. Like it just happened so quickly. Wow. And then they started pushing me. I want shoes, I want bags, I want pre seasons, I want this, I want this. And I'm like, yeah, sure, you know. We weren't prepared for it. We didn't have the production processes involved. I'm not sure. Sho- you wouldn't have
0: had that experience no, as well. I'm not a shoe
1: designer, I'm not a bag designer. Like it was all just happening too fast. And at one point, I remember at the end of the year, and I was totally broken. I counted my designs, I counted my line sheets, you know, and we designed and sold 700 products. And I was just like, now I'm part of the problem. Like, this doesn't feel that gelsy, exciting theatre anymore. This doesn't feel like niche, independent brand. Now I'm part of the system. And I was like, then went back to my university moment where I sort of knew, I read No Logo by Naomi Klein and I knew about social issues. So I started thinking about my factories and I started thinking about what we're making. And then... I started to uncover then all the you know environmental issues ethical issues social issues and I was like okay I, this feels wrong when you're a young designer and before a pandemic had hit mm-hmm. you don't feel like you can disrupt the system mm-hmm. you feel like mm. if you step totally. off that wheel like no They're one's going to s- listen well
0: like yeah. I mean, in Fashion Reimagine you've yeah. got sort of various you know fashion editors or yeah. sort of buyers coming in and going mm, you no know, it's the yeah. price point yeah. or you know our customers don't really care about yeah. the sort of supply chain yeah. or you know yeah. so you were right in some ways but, that you, know, you took a big leap of faith
1: you know for COVID, for all mm. of its like issues, mm. did make everybody stop. Mm. And then I feel like everybody had to reimagine themselves in mm. a way and mm. actually it gave an opportunity for diversity in terms mm. of how you do your mm-hmm. business. Yeah. So that helped as well as me becoming older and more confident and obviously doing things my own way anyway. But yeah, it was about two years of me just being very unhappy and stressed. And then I win the Vogue Fashion Fund.
0: And what, what is that? What sort of amount of cash are we talking about?
1: So it was, for us, it was 100,000. Normally, it's 200,000. But for us, they split it with Palmer Harding that year. Mm-hmm. Just imagine Dragon's Den. That's yeah. just how it is. But instead of the four that you normally know, mm-hmm. it's like Lisa Armstrong, yeah. Caroline Rush, oh, Rush, Victoria Beckham sat on one of mine one year, Naomi Campbell sat on one one mm-hmm. year. You had the kind of industry insiders. Then you had the kind of more, you know, on the outside. Right. Yeah. And you just had to go and present to them. And, it, and it, you're,
0: you were presenting oh, about building a ethical
1: Yeah, I think I did it twice or three times. I can't remember. But at the third, the one where I won the award, I was like, this is where I'm going and this is what I want to do. And if you give me this prize, this is what I'm going to go and do with it. Great.
0: So you've got 100 grand in the bank, and you're like, right, okay, I need to look at my supply chain. I need to create a collection that has the least impact I could possibly imagine. I mean, I'm actually interested in in the actual disciplines from the design aesthetic as yeah. well that you were sort of thinking about making at that time.
1: It literally was, this is my vision. How can I make the best possible product using the least amount of chemicals with the lowest carbon footprint, the lowest transportation footprint in the most environmentally friendly way? That was like the brief... But, of course, we didn't even know what that meant ourselves. So Chloe, who you see in the film a lot, you know, she's incredible. And, you know, we took to Google first. That's the reality. We were like, what is conventional cotton? What is organic cotton? You know, we start talking to... We basically try and piece this puzzle together through talking to suppliers, getting on Google researching something else, talking to somebody else, meeting someone else. Um, it, you know, it takes a few years for us to kind of really understand how that all kind of connects and comes together. Mm.
0: When you see the film, what I love about it is that, it, you know, at that time, our citizens, our customers, our communities, they weren't really asking those questions either. But you are. You're, it's, it's like the camera kind of goes really inside your mind and you're constantly questioning, you're yeah. constantly exploring alternatives. You're constantly, like you say, looking at if that doesn't work, well then we we'll find a solution. Yeah. You know, and it and that's what's so fascinating in the film because the reward at the end when you've actually got the collection up and running and it gets that sort of sniff of reaction yeah. from people who are starting to turn gear it's so wildly exciting and anyone sort of listening you must watch fashion reimagine because it is a, a, a pivotal moment within the fashion industry i feel so yeah just what was the what was driving you constantly there a combination of a billion and one things
1: if i want to do something I'm going to make it happen. But also, if I see a problem, I need to fix it. I don't know what that is in me either. You know, it's like climate change. Sometimes my husband's like, why are you taking on climate change? (laughs) It's like, you know, not not to do it, but like it haunts me at night. You know, it's just like I, I have climate anxiety because I'm like, the world is ending. These people are dying. This is unjust. Like, I can't cope with this. It's injustice I can't cope with, and I don't really know where that comes from. It's sort of just maybe it's from a previous life or something, but it's just like it's in my soul. Like if it's injustice. Well, it, it's I'm not... the
0: true sense of a activist. Yeah. You know, it's it's actually most fascinating territory that I've seen in fashion in the last sort of, you know, five to ten years is are these people who are prepared to not just think about the product and really invest the building of their brand around principles. Yeah. You know, and then we look at the fashion industry, yeah. which has always been a social reflection of where we're at. Yeah. Suddenly it's it's reflecting a very traumatic, damaged yeah. planet yeah. and also an industry that carries many, many sins. Yeah. So talk to me about how you rationalise a lot of that in your head in the way of actually you're, you're producing a product. Yeah. It goes out to your yeah. consumer. They're buying that product. Yeah. You know, then people sort of banning you know throw around things like we've got enough clothes on the planet yeah. enough to dress the next yeah. six generations you know where do where do you sit within all of that
1: yeah it was a really good question and that i've got a two-part answer to it prior to my ted talk it was very much people have to wear clothes right i'm also a woman and i'm also very pro-women And there's nothing that fulfills me greater from a creative, the designer in me, not the activist in me, for a woman to buy something and it make her feel amazing. So I'd rather make the best ones done the best possible way and make women feel great. TED Talk happens. So many interviews around the film. Biggest elephant in the room, growth. If we talk about a linear and we only talk about success in this world, mm-hmm. in a very male-built world, mm-hmm. built world mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. offence. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's profit and loss. That's how we measure success. Totally. Job titles, money, that's it. Yeah. The problem with the world is nothing in this world lives in a linear way. There's a wonderful TED talk um, by Kate Raworth. She's an economist and she explains this perfectly. We don't work like that. You're circular. We live, we breathe, we die. We reproduce. You know, we grow, we have seasons. Like, nothing works in a linear way. Everything Mm -hmm. works in this, like, circular, Mm -hmm. like, much more holistic way. Mm -hmm. Why do we believe that this is the only way to do this? Mm -hmm. And this is where I get to the point where we need to reimagine the entire, not just fashion supply chain, every, every supply industry. chain, every yeah. industry. Yeah. And then I've got to this place and this will be my next project, however I do it, in whatever way. What if by, you know, when you think about charity in terms of a non-profit organisation mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. they are a business model mm-hmm. where it gives more than it takes. Mm-hmm. So what if you mm-hmm. could apply that? to an actual supply chain Mm -hmm. business what if i could measure everything i took from this earth Mm -hmm. and from people Mm -hmm. on the way measured it made sure i gave everything back so i don't so i'm truly carbon neutral Mm -hmm. and but not i'm truly ethical neutral Mm -hmm. you know but what if i could also improve it 10 percent on the way Mm. so what if by the very nature of every time i sold something it was better for the planet what if you could watch your website chain like get the numbers come in You know, when if you're looking in the back end of your website, you see how many customers you see, you're Mm -hmm. all just coming in. Mm -hmm. What if at the moment I grapple with that? A part of me is excited and Mm -hmm. part of me feels upset about Mm -hmm. it. You know, What if you could only see that as good? Whether it's possible or not, I don't know. But I believe there's a system and I want to design the blueprint. And I've also re-evaluated as a designer, is my job just... To be a bit ignorant and just design the finished product, or is my job as a business owner and designer to design the system that creates it? What if at the end of the year, instead of just filing a financial return Mm. that measures my success as how much money I made, Mm. what about I could file a return at the end of my year that said how much we paid it forward, like what we managed to give back to communities this year, what we did to empower our staff, like what we did for our mental health? Like, why do we measure success on such a simple transaction? Yeah, and I think it is for the most part because men. Built the world, and yep. it's not. I'm not having a go no, at men, no, no, it's just no, no. That it's a different way of thinking. Yeah, you know, it's we like need
0: much more female, we,
1: we need in that both
0: vision of success because
1: the world needs male and female, otherwise, it wouldn't exist, mm-hmm. right? You have to reproduce, and mm-hmm. that's how we continue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest problem. And that's why, you know, it's so difficult for women in many ways in the workplace, especially if you want to be a mother as well, because we're not that linear creature. So it's complicated to try and weave it in. And
0: it's the education piece in the way of like you're saying if you're empowering your women or your men, you know, customers who are wearing mother of pearl pieces to actually be able to have the knowledge to share where that piece comes from. Actually, that's what new style looks like. It's not that I got this and it was a rare piece and it was capsule collection and no one else can have it yeah. or you know I got it really cheap but yeah. it's actually worth this or yeah. you know changing all of that narrative yeah, yeah. and actually saying I, I did invest in this properly this is going to last me for a very long time yeah but I know very I've got so much I can tell you about the sort yeah. of journey yeah of how this product sits yeah. with me today
1: and that's about marketing and communications too like we did get to a point where all fashion if a journalist would just say what was your inspiration this season they just wanted me to tell them <laughs> yeah. you know, it was eight I went to eight a trip weeks, to, yeah I went yeah. to a trip whatever it was yeah. And actually, what if the product itself is just part of the system? You know, what if actually as a designer, it's my duty to design the whole thing? What about that? I have to communicate to you, to tell you like what your garments made of and what that means. Mm-hmm. Like we're doing a big project with Tensa at the moment, and. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned, which I didn't really know, that in certain, depending on where your trees come from, if it's in Europe, it can take, it's it's sort of between 80 and 100 years for that tree to grow before they cut it down to make your dress. Wow. So when you're wearing like a wow. viscose piece, the tree, we talk about like our grandmother's clothes, but actually the trees were planted in our great, great, great grandparents' like generation. Right. So, you know, it's so much more than just a dress. You know, yeah. think about polyester. First of all, you think about it, it's the same oil you put in your car. So it's just petrol basically Mm. makes your dress, which is also what makes your packaging. So Mm. then we need to think about that. But also, if you think about fossil fuel, it's billions and billions of years old. So the planet created this like natural resource. Billions, it took billions of years to like compress it and make it. We extract it and use it into something and throw it into the bin before it's a year old like it doesn't it's like humanity's time we've been on the planet versus how long it's been you know we're just like Mm -hmm. a a drop in the ocean it's the same when you think about what we're doing with the polyester dress like we need to reimagine the fact your clothes aren't just the designer that designed them but what nature did to it before
0: I love that I absolutely love that if you kind of give me a, a, a visual aesthetic of what the mother of pearl woman looks like what are the sort of shapes and what's the language and how does that translate to where she is in 2023 24 like what's what how are you getting your inspiration for actually the design
1: part of it i mean her herself like all i ever think about is her brain and her beauty because of her brain like it's just in my head it's like she's she's so switched on that's just who I I think about she's every shape and every size but like in terms of my aesthetic it's very much like because of my journey in sustainability I also thought about the product itself and Mm -hmm. so I changed my aesthetic Mm -hmm. and I changed my own as Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. wardrobe classics Mm -hmm. and by that everybody has different versions of them Mm -hmm. right but I like to think about well-fitting like well-constructed beautiful shapes done as your like kind of classic pieces you want to wear over and over and over again but with design details on them that make you just feel like it's intelligently considered. The design wasn't just mass-produced, you know. But, you know, we all try them on, you know. So if it's a tailored jacket, we're all different shapes and sizes and we converse over it a lot. So we're trying to create these pieces that make all women feel good, which I guess is how we approach stuff, right? We do things quite earthy, quite rooted, quite with purpose, but we also do it with a lot of thoughts and therefore, like, and we want and the woman has a lot of thought herself so the garments themselves are kind of everything you want to wear because we don't want to make things that are just going to get left in your wardrobe but with things about it that make you realize it wasn't just a quick two-minute fix, mm. you know, that we've really... Which
0: creates a real sort of affection yeah, to that exactly, piece. Yeah. And there's a new level of respect, yeah, which obviously yeah. is so important. Yeah, yeah. And I think when we look at the industry as well, I'm just sort of, you know, we're all so aware of the time factor of the change needing to happen. I mean, I think it's just... Overwhelming, and you talk about sort of climate anxiety, I think, you know, a lot of people listening probably very much relate to that. Uh, Without pointing fingers, you know, we there is a bit of a sort of head in sand, sort of business as usual. You know, this machine is still kind of working. You know, we're talking about major global brands using just the same old machine of, you know, bringing a a well-known face to the campaign. And then off the back of that, sort of saying that they have a sustainable element to their business, but it's greenwashing, in all honesty. Mm -hmm. Naomi
1: Campbell for Pretty (laughs) Little. Things. I mean I'm happy to say it. it's fine.
0: I mean exactly and 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 yeah. I mean you know yeah, yeah, okay, I'm, yeah, it's I'm, I mean, I'm slightly yeah. kind of like is this I, I get really not even angry, just deeply in shock yeah. that it's still happening from the major players. And I'm like, what what are they not seeing, especially in regards to listening? to a changing audience
1: I mean first and foremost I don't understand it if I'm honest like it's you know they say don't judge by your own standards which I try and apply all the time right mm. try to put myself in somebody else's shoes mm. try to think about what they might be mm. feeling and why not mm. but in that extremity where you're already very wealthy you don't need any more money why would you do that I'd, I I find it so hard. The only driver in it has got to be money because it's actually not... Even if you take the ethics out of it, it's not good for your career. So it's got to just be an unbelievable amount of money in a cheque. And I always use this analogy because I use it in my everyday life when I'm struggling. If I was on my deathbed tomorrow or next week or someone told me I had a week to live, what do I want? I don't want another big cheque. I want to be with my family. I want to be with my children. I want to spend time with the people I love. Mm. And I think we have to just check ourselves in on that stuff all the time.
0: I think that's a really good message for all all brands and all talent and all ambassadors and all people play a part in our industry of fashion it was just to take a check. Yeah. You know, just really constantly. Not a check though. Not a big check with zeros <laughs> on it. Take a check of yourself. Yeah. yeah thanks for Don't take it. the big. T- <laughs> yeah, don't, don't take the, financial the check. check.
1: Take the check of yourself. Take yeah. you
0: the check of yourself yeah. and that's it because there is a, you know, there is a sort of lot of money that sort of circulates around and it's about sort of doing the right thing. When you kind of look at the sort of next stage of the industry and, you know, you've got Mother of Pearl within all of it. Um, Are there other people that you're observing around you, whether they're brands or talents, yeah. that you you want to applaud as well, that you're kind of looking at their work yeah. and going, I really like the way you're thinking. And sometimes also I'm I'm noticing in other industries, I'm looking at food sometimes. Yeah. It's quite an interesting to yeah, look yeah. at other industries yeah. and sort of learn a lot from them. I think food's always been slightly ahead yeah. of fashion. And yeah. I know now that a girlfriend of mine who used to be within food and sustainability is now head of sustainability at Chanel. Wow, yeah. So, they, you know, it's interesting they're bringing yeah. in those sort yeah. of heavyweights.
1: Well, it all comes from soil for the most part, not all of it, but for the most part, trees grown in soil, or your cotton is grown in soil, which is the most used fibre. I mean, polyester is obviously different, but it all starts from the same place and that's what everybody kind of misses, which is understandable because you don't see that in the window of a shop. You don't see the field, you see the finished, right? And I've ended up moving into the activist world because I feel more, like... Comfortable. Comfortable, and yeah. I feel like in the fashion world... I'm stressed because I feel like I'm talking and not everybody's listening, mm-hmm. or they're paying lip service and mm-hmm. then they don't follow through mm-hmm. with it, or mm-hmm. they write another press release mm-hmm. about what they're doing, but it's just a release, it's not an action. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're on the ground with people like Alice Eady from Earthrise, or you know these incredible young women that are just like standing up and making change, the people I was in the in the room with at TED Talk, I mean, if you listen to Al Gore speak, it was just so powerful. And they're the people I want to applaud, and also I do want to applaud. And I know it's controversial, but just stop oil. You know, those young people that are standing up to—they're going to prison, not from just themselves. They're going to prison for us. Yes, sometimes it's annoying that they're in the road, but like for me, this is like Star Wars, and they're the rebellion. You know, and who do you want to be, Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader? You know, <laughs> like these are the people that are actually like—they're so frightened about their future. You know. And I just think we need to realise that these are heroes. And so many people say to them, yeah, but you need to change it in a different way. You know, you need to go to governments haven't done that. They're left. It's not like these people are stupid and they don't know a different way to do it. It's just that the different way has been done and it didn't work. So I think we need to look at the youth and we need to look at these activists we need to learn from them, but we also need to applaud them.
0: That's really exciting. When you when you say that, obviously, looking at your heroes and you're sort of going back and looking yeah. at some of the younger yeah. ones coming forward saying, not on my watch, yeah. zero tolerance, yeah. I'm going to make a difference and I don't care what the consequences are.
1: Yeah. We need these young people to be standing up and fighting. The ones that are taking the governments to court are my favourite. You know, they're using the law, you know, to like... Get these people, and I, you know, I find that like the most exciting. It's right?
0: very inspiring. Yeah. If you could gather together industry leaders yeah. in the way of bringing people together who actually can shift opinion, actually have the control to change things yeah. on their watch, yeah. on their legacy, what kind of sentences would you give to people like that when you kind of think about how we're going to reimagine our future?
1: that's a massive question um it's like we need to just all go to like a retreat or something and all just stop for like two weeks three weeks even don't do any of you business as usual like stop rethink relearn reconnect and then come back to your job like three weeks later being like what am i doing because i think it's just everybody you know you saw the big vogue world thing that happened the other day you know i'm not like anti all this stuff but We're just doing more. We're not going back, you know? And I think it's because everybody's feeding social media and everybody's in the rat race and everybody wants to, like, be seen to be doing the next thing and the next thing. It's like you have... The only way to change, you need to break the cycle.
0: It feels like fear to me. Yeah. It feels like you say everything's sort of suddenly ramped up. It's yeah. got bigger and bigger, and more money, and more glitzy, and more exposure, and more social. And it's like feels like there's a sort of knee jerk sort of fear yeah. reaction kicking in.
1: Yeah, and I think to be fair, I think social media is such a big driver of that because mm. you know when we did fashion shows, you we were you know think about Phoebe Philo like era, like she was celebrated for being the most incredible designer, and that's what we respected her for. But now it's like, how many followers have you got on Instagram? What's your like profile? And therefore you can be a creative director. Mm. Everybody's been frightened of being left behind and not going viral. And I think that's just really warping our like yeah. sense of like... Totally and actually, distorted. Then, are you truly happy? Because if you're chasing that, you know, you look at famous people that don't do very well. It's because they can't cope when maybe their fame isn't as good as it once was, you know? So... The ones that do really well are the ones that are happy with what they've got, you know.
0: And I get happiness through you because you're, fe- you're feeling very happy. And um, listen, just to close, because yeah, 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 it's been yeah. an amazing conversation. <laughs> Quick fire. Yeah. So fashion week or design week?
1: Design week.
0: <laughs> a walk in a field or a swim in the sea?
1: Walk in the field, yeah.
0: A cold shower or a hot bath?
1: Hot bath. I know I should say cold shower, but still hot. One day it'll be cold shower. Ask me again in a few years.
0: A cup of builder's tea or a gentle chamomile?
1: Chamomile. Smoothie
0: Smoothie juice juice. or a homemade soup?
1: Smoothie juice.
0: More powerful for you, Vogue or the FT?
1: Oh, that's just so hard. I don't don't (laughs) like either. Can you add a different one in there? Well, one's about money and one's about fashion, you know? I want the one that's about... I want to read George Monbiot in The Guardian.
0: And Marmite sandwich or jam and peanut butter?
1: Jam and peanut butter.
0: Nice. Listen, it's been really inspiring speaking to you. You are an unbelievable talent in our fashion industry. Please, everyone listening, go to watch Fashion Reimagined. It's an awfully good documentary that documents a few years in the journey of you sort of producing this incredibly ethical uh, collection.
1: One other thing, if an hour and a half is too much to watch a documentary, I mean, please obviously watch it, but the TED Talk is coming out, I think on the 6th of October, and that's a nine-minute synopsis of everything, and so I feel like that's a really good place to start. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Yes.